following podcast is recorded and produced by the Podcast Precinct in affiliation with the network at BICBP-radio.com. The Podcast Precinct. Consistency. Creativity. Culture. special guest on but before we get to him we have a few things to go through you go first <laughs> okay so last week we had a Q&A and one of the questions was who's your celebrity look alike and I said that someone in my past said I look like Mia Wasikowski from Alice in Wonderland and then when I went to work the next day, my coworker comes to me, and she didn't know about the podcast, so she couldn't have listened. And she said, hey, I watched Alice in Wonderland over the weekend, and you know who you look like? You look like Mia Wasikowski, the girl who plays Alice. And I thought that was just a freaky coincidence thing. No one, Only one person has ever said that to me. So the fact that it happened right after the podcast was pretty cool yeah that's wild i i feel like you you kind of do but it's not it's nothing crazy i don't know i see it i see like little features nothing yeah major all right all right good story appreciate it i'm always the one who comes in with something oh i'm sorry i'm not interesting enough no what i'm no i'm saying i'm saying (laughs) the exact opposite of that actually um i do have something though for the record every single person who listened to last week's podcast said that I was in a bad mood and said that right away they could tell I was grumpy. And <laughs> I, I, well, I was. Didn't you say – was that the one where you said you didn't get a lot of sleep? Yeah. I didn't get a lot of sleep. I lost my car keys. <laughs> well, no wonder. <laughs> so everyone who listened to that was like, yeah, it was good. I mean, you were just in a mood the whole time. Oh, God. So now I'll, I'll be sunny, Cheerful. positive. Yeah. I mean, I was quite irascible last week, so <laughs> – Okay, I, what does that mean? I can use context clues, but... Um, uh, let me bring it up for you. Wow, On so you my, don't even know it. I do know it, but I want to give you the best definition I could find. All right, okay. I, I have a vocabulary app. <laughs> irascible. Easily angered. The irascible man would often yell at the kids playing across the street. I can see you doing that. Okay, well, I that's... See, no, <laughs> no. As a grumpy old man. No, I'm, 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 I'm a positive, sunny person just not last week <laughs> not usually but that's what i strive to be did you find your keys yeah well obviously your car was here so yeah yeah i found they? them um they were in carla's car like you thought yeah so yeah that's why i couldn't find them because they weren't at my house good to know yep <laughs> <laughs> so i had every right to be in a mood because i looked every single place in my house i possibly could be and they weren't there. Before you even asked Carla? Yeah. Well, she was asleep by oh, the time okay. I was looking for it. I was up at like 
I don't know, seven or eight looking for him, which is also why I was in a bad mood because I was up early. <laughs> so everything, everything kind of came together. Two hours before the podcast. Yeah. Well, it was a time change thing, so I went to bed late, oh, and then right, right, right. I don't know. It was it it messed me up. All right, but I'm 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 back. My my energy's up. My positivity's up. <laughs> and then next week, let me just give a little commercial for next week. I have something groundbreaking to share next week. Well, is this the thing I know? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> It's not even groundbreaking, but it is for the podcast. <laughs> I was like, because that's not that groundbreaking. <laughs> oh, 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 I'm excited about that. <laughs> we'll probably announce that next week, too. But uh, I have some uh, some spice to add to next week. Wow, not this week? A spicy dish. No. Okay. No, because let's get to our guest. <laughs> I know. It. This is Nobody cares about us anymore. This is episode nine. Guess what? Can you, <laughs> can you, imagine? Can you imagine getting to episode ten? Oh my god! Watch next week. Something happens. We can't do it. Yeah, we have to do something big for next week. Ten episodes in. <laughs> I have no idea what we're gonna do. Something big. We also have an Easter episode, which we have to talk about later. Okay. I don't know if you want to record on Easter. I do. I don't care. Oh. Okay. Yeah, we'll talk about it. Yeah. Okay. Um, our guest needs no introduction. He is Jesse Swartz, the man who taught me everything I know about lights, sound. Everything, everything I do there, I I picked up a ton of it from him. Welcome to the podcast. Yes, welcome. Thank I, you. I heard you were a big fan. I listened to most of them. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I've 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 really enjoyed some of them a lot, especially when you mentioned me. <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm I'm really looking forward to this. I think it's going to be fun. Yeah, and thank you for saying I taught you everything. I. I don't know if I taught anything that <laughs> <It> was correct. <laughs> no, I, I like yesterday. I was I was um, fixing lights and and hanging them, and I just I've kept all the techniques. I've kept everything. So I've, I mean, yeah, you you passed all the lighting, sound, all of it down to me. So that's thank you for that. You're doing a good job. Thank I, you. I, I like some of your work a lot. Um, and you've come only, a long way. Only ways. some of your work. <laughs> well, you can never hit a home run every time. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's some shows which you know where you're on kind of a static set where yeah. it's just like one interior yeah. right and it's daytime and it's comedy <laughs> and you're like you could sleep through the lighting design yeah and then there's dynamic shows like Frankenstein where you can right. really have a lot of fun yeah True. yeah mm-hmm. yeah that I learned from you too because I remember I completely whitewashed uh, the noodle set I didn't put any gels in anything so I was just blasting the this white set with just straight light and it was just like you're walking in like a heaven scene or something like <laughs> blight bouncing everywhere and you're like yeah you can't you can't do that that's you, <laughs> you gotta make some orange some blue you gotta you gotta put some stuff in there so I'm, i haven't done it again so thank you for that too <laughs> yeah best way to learn is by doing yeah and screwing True. up screwing up is right. a really good way to learn <laughs> yeah yeah that's true. That's true as well. So I guess first question I have is how did you even start at theater? And where where was your beginning? The beginning is kind of odd, but um, the grade school I went to is St. Matthew Lutheran. And we actually did a play when I was six years old in first grade. 
and I think it was called the little bell that clunked or clanked or something. <laughs> and it was kind of a chancel drama, and I played the sextant who went down the line hitting the little kids in the oh, head, and okay. they made whatever note they were supposed to make, and there was one that clanked. <laughs> and then, I, you know, I did a couple small chancel dramas, but it was when uh, my brother Don went away to St. Paul's in Concordia, Missouri, and started doing theater, and I went to see a couple of his shows in in Chicago later when he went to um, River Forest in Illinois, Concordia Teachers College, and that was the bug. That was when it bit me, and, and then the first, quote, real show I did was in 1981 with Tonawanda's Community Theater, and it was a version of M.A.S.H., Oh, wow. Right on the river. So you're in, you know, 1950s Korea with speedboats blasting past you. <laughs> oh, my God. All throughout the performance, you know. <laughs> yeah. And then in 1982, Don got the job with the North Tonawanda Summer Theater Workshop as the director. And I was there at the very first meeting with him. Whoa. With the city council and the mayor. and I didn't know that. Yeah. 43 yeah. years. That's, wow. yeah, that's the, insane. With this company, yeah. That is insane. We, we talk about on the podcast how, how we, whenever we talk, we're, we're usually talking about just this theater and this building. And, yeah. I mean, your knowledge goes far Way beyond back. that. So people are actually getting, uh, <laughs> getting to know what, well, what it actually is. I, I was always interested in the, the history behind it and how it came to be. And obviously, we don't know that. Well, I don't. I mean, yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't there for it. Yeah. So. Yeah. It was. It was funny. Because I think John Silsby was the the head of the recreation department, and Don asked him, like, "Is there any set pieces or lighting or sound equipment or anything, you know, that we're going to be using?" And John Silsby said. There's some s stuff stored above the little water department building on Erie, the little blue one, not the big DOT or, right, or whatever, right. you know. So we went up there on the second floor. There's like a little loft in the garage, and there were eight pieces of cardboard and a little, like, line of six lights, regular light sockets with floodlights in them. <laughs> two were red, two were blue, two were green. <laughs> and they plugged into the wall. Oh my god! That was it. Oh my god! That was how we started. That's insane. Yep. And that first production was Carousel, and you know, to this day, you talk to your mom, talk to your dad, talk to Joanne, whatever. Our first, probably seven or eight sets, and again, we only did the musical then, right? In the summer, we're all cardboard. Wow. Almost everything we did was cardboard. Whoa. <laughs> we rented the Carousel from a company that's no longer with us. Um, we had to use the lights at Colonel Payne, and they had to be run by uh, one of the custodians. <laughs> we weren't allowed to run the lights. <laughs> and we had to, we hired a sound company, and we hired Bob Schmeichel from Schmeichel's Music. And he was our first sound guy. That's insane. I didn't know any of that. So, so humble beginnings. Yeah, and the other thing, too, which you'd be glad has been a big change, is rehearsals used to be six hours every day. What? Every day in the summer. Yikes. It was oh, like babysitting camp. Oh, my God. From yeah. 9 to 3. 
every every day during the summer, Monday through Friday. So did it start with kids, or was it? It did start with kids. In fact, just, yeah. you weren't allowed to be in the production if you were over 18. Oh. Wow. Okay. And then when Don went to bat with the city and said, hey, we need to do something more than just a summer show. Right. You know, I want to do this all year long. And he changed it into the North Tonawanda Theater Workshop instead of Summer Theater Workshop. But then we still weren't allowed to do a show if you were over. Was I'm not sure if it was 18 or 21. I think it was 18. But we were starting to get older as a group. And I was approaching the age where... I wouldn't be allowed to do shows anymore. And I think your mom and, and Joanne were as well. Yeah. So you were under 18 at this point or 21 at least? I was 16 when I started with the theater company. Okay. I think it was 16. Yeah. 80. Yeah. That'd be about right. In 82. Um, so again, Don went to bat for us with the city and said, I want this to include adults. Yeah. And I think that's where the name Ghostlight came because we changed it from North Tonawana Theater Workshop to the Ghostlight Theater Company. And it was everybody, including people over age 18 or 21, whichever one it was. Another thing that's funny, which you'll also be glad has changed, we never sold tickets. It was donations only. Oh, no. So our tickets said recommended donation, $4. How many people but if you didn't have, to, you don't feel like donating, yeah, you, you could walk it. right in the door with your, with your ticket and see a show. Wow! Because it was part of the city rec department. Yeah, yeah. So you didn't have too much of a say, or we just hope people donated. <laughs> <laughs> Most of them did. So that's crazy. Hey, so um, for for background, because I didn't say this at the beginning, Jesse's my uncle, and Don's my father. So he doesn't get enough credit for, for doing all this, like changing the dynamic of the theater yeah <laughs> well it's funny because we had a, like a really tight core yeah. like we do now yeah so right. who's in in the core group the, the original four were don debbie joanne and myself okay um that are still with us today mm-hmm. and then joining soon after that was uh rest in peace carl tamberlin um, Julie Senko was in that sort of timeline, the early timeline. Um, Bob Tomasini, okay. who is not so much involved anymore, but mm-hmm. does come to see a lot of the shows. Yeah. I hope I'm not forgetting anybody. I don't think I am. Um, there are people that have come and gone since, you know, the original, uh, the original days, but no, nobody's involved. At this point, that was involved real back then in the early '80s. Right. I think it's just the f- the me, Don, Debbie, and and uh, Joanne, and uh, you know Julie. I'm not sure when Julie, you know, joined the company. Probably late '80s. You know, like '86, yeah. '87, somewhere around there. And Bob Thomasine also same same kind of area. Right. Right. Did anyone get paid for? What they did back then? Don got paid, um, I think his title, and you'll have to confirm with him, uh, was recreational aid. Hmm. And it wasn't a whole lot of money. Yeah. Um, 
so he had a regular job. But he was only paid during the summer, and I think they limited it to, like, 20 hours a week. And then when we went to the all-year-around program, um, we were actually part of the city that was making money, you know, because they really controlled our budget. Right. And any money that we had coming in, you know, we had to, like, use it or they would take it. You know, oh, okay. the rec department would kind of absorb that. So um, we were told by somebody I'm not going to name, <laughs> go spend your money. Yeah. Or it's going to disappear. Oh, yeah, that's how it works. You know? So um, when we went to the full-time program, Don somehow finagled uh, the recreation department to allow us to hire summer aides. So there were like two or three people who would get paid not a whole lot of money, just like the, the girls at the playground or the lifeguards at the yeah. pool or whatever. Right, right. You know? And I don't know who the original ones were. It wasn't me. I never got – I didn't <laughs> get paid till years later when it was stipends. Right, right. You know, but, um, yeah, it's 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 for love, not for not for the money. right. So where did you guys go from there? Was that the Riviera right after, or was that? We were at Colonel Payne School forever, which is the, the old dinosaur on Payne Avenue right yeah. across from the Ball Diamonds. Um, actually, when we went to to the full-time year-round program, yeah, um, I was still in school in Missouri. I went to the same high school your dad went to. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I went to see him there and fell in love with the place, and I'm like, I'm going to be here. Oh, that's really cool. And so I went there. I was a, a legacy. And here's the, th- the part of that that sucks. I know it's not theater. It's family history. Yeah. But the school has a hazing background, so seniors <laughs> are allowed to, like, pick on the freshmen. Yeah, yeah. He was my senior senior. <laughs> oh, no. And they remembered. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Your dad claims that he was nice to all the freshmen, but uh, yeah, jury's out. <laughs> <laughs> but we were actually in the Wurlitzer School. Is it Wurlitzer? Yeah. What's, it's a rock climbing place now next to Tim Hortons. Oh, yeah, yeah. Really? Eerie, yeah. I don't think I ever knew that. Yeah, we were in there. I don't know how long we were in there, and it's, it's one of the mm-hmm. funniest stories because Danny Sonnen was um, young, involved in the company. He acted. He was interested in technical. And Eric Matikosh was, was in the company. And we were doing a show. I don't remember the name of the show. Eventually, it'll probably pop into my, my old dysfunctional <laughs> brain. But we needed a large, like, chest that was at the foot of the girl who was like the star of the show. At the at the foot of her bed, she had a clown, the, um, an imaginary clown. But, right. of course, in a play, the clown was real. Yeah. So we needed something for that clown to come out of. And we had absolutely zero budget for anything. <laughs> right. and obviously, you're not going to build something like that out of cardboard because it's going to fall apart. Yeah. So Don said to me and Danny and Eric, can you guys, you know, figure out a way to, to make this, you know, little cabinet so we went down we're walking around the old classrooms and the places were all beat up and they had a little closet on the wall 
So we've ripped the closet off the wall <laughs> oh my God. and dragged it into our little rehearsal space and set it upside down so that the door was the lid of the <laughs> of the uh, you know the little cabinet there. Oh my God! Yeah, I can't. I wish I could remember the name of that show because we did it again years later. Is it one? Is it one that he wrote? No. Oh, okay. No, it's not. And it's we did it again years later, and they had a. A big thing at at the Kenton, like summer picnic, like a typical fair they would have had back in those days. Yeah, and we were actually performing on a flatbed trailer that had sort of a back installed on it, so you you come up the stairs and you go on the stage in front of like I don't know two or three thousand people. And they're throwing footballs around, and they're oh. drinking pop and eating and, you know, yelling at each other. And right. my mother and I were up there. We were the parents of this this young girl, and uh, it was just dreadful. <laughs> <laughs> That's Yeah, I couldn't imagine that. That's got to be tough. Yeah. So, I mean, after Wurlitzer, we got our space in the... Um, uh, the Colonel Payne building, the, the the old school that's on the corner of Niagara and Wheatfield. Yeah. As opposed to Payne Junior High. I, I might have said Colonel Payne, but it's Payne Junior High was where all our musicals were done. Okay. But then we finally got our space in um, the Colonel Payne building, and we're on the third floor. Go figure. And we had two rooms. One was set construction and storage, and one was rehearsal. So the horrible part about it is, like, that's when we started going to all of the other schools. Like, we would perform at Spruce. Right. Or Drake, I think we did a couple shows at. Um, but basically what we would do is, while we were rehearsing in one room, we would build the set in the other room and move the set into the rehearsal room so we could get used to the blocking on that, on that set. And then the weekend before the show, starting at a very ridiculous, literally four or five o'clock in the morning, we would bring in a rental truck. Or I, at the time, I worked for DHL, so I used to be able to get the cube truck from, from DHL. And we would haul all of our lights, all of our sound, and all of the set would be t- taken apart, put in the truck, and hauled over to the Riviera Theater. Then we would take as much time as it, you know, had to take. It didn't matter. We there were nights you could talk to Danny and Julie and Bob Tomasini. We stayed up twenty four hours or more. Oh my God! Going to the overnight because we had to be ready for our um, first dress rehearsal on Monday. So everything technical had to be done. We would put the lights up first because they didn't have any lights there that we were using. We had to run our whole lighting system. And everything was cord-based, so we had to run our cords from the stage of the Riviera all the way up into the balcony. Oh, my God. That's what those really, really long Socoplex cords are from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, we could use the the theater lights, I mean, but they didn't have anything at the time, really. It was just basically strip lights. Um, So we were there for a long time, you know, and we would, we would, build the set after the lights were done and then uh after the sunday evening performance because we used to do two sunday shows <laughs> we used to do a two o'clock and a seven o'clock 
And after that Sunday show, we had to be out Sunday night. Otherwise, they would charge us additional rent. Wow. Can you uh. imagine taking down the set? No. The same I would cry. Night? <laughs> I'm not after two shows. <laughs> yeah. No. Wow. Uh, What happened to work in the morning? You just went straight to work? They call it sick day. (laughs) 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 Got it. Yeah, that is insane. We can barely get enough people to put up a set (laughs) in like a few months now, and and you guys are doing it all in one day, one night. We (laughs) we started again like back when um, we did the first Night of the Living Dead. Paul McGinnis was the director, and we were looking at the schedule on how it was going to work because uh, for those of you out there that don't know, our schedule is literally no break schedule. You, yeah. you close one show and you begin the audition and rehearsal process for the next show. And because we're a fairly small group of people, you can't tie everybody up, you know, cause the people who are doing this show really kind of just flood right into the next one. Yeah. And, um, so it was decided that we would strike the set of the fall thriller on Sunday and immediately begin building the Night of the Living Dead set. And we would go 24 hours, and their first technical rehearsal was Monday night. So we had Paul and I and uh, Daniel and, and some other folks, DJ I'm sure was at, at one point, uh, we would rip down the old set. Sunday night and stay all through the night at the theater and build the Night of the Living Dead set, have it ready to go by 6 o'clock for the rehearsal. That That's awful. Lights and sound <laughs> and everything. Wow. So, you, you, I mean, you guys really had to love what you did to stick around and do that oh, time yeah. after time. We all loved it. And I won't mention this individual's name because I don't think they're involved in the theater anymore. It was the first Night of the Living Dead set. And they had been rehearsing on whatever was the fall thriller set, so they they didn't really have a chance Mm -hmm. to to know what was going on with the Night of the Living Dead set. So Paul and Dan and I stayed the whole night. Chris Fire, I think, was there too. And uh, we built this set, and we're just dragging it. And I mean dragging it. And it's 6 o'clock, and the cast for Night of the Living Dead is coming in to start doing all their makeup and stuff. And one guy who was playing a zombie looked at the set and goes, that's it? That's all you got? And you're yeah. like, all the work we just did, all the time spent. That's it. That's all you got. <laughs> and I just, I gave him this dagger look like, you are two inches from death right now. <laughs> yeah. But I was too tired. I couldn't have hurt him. I would have ripped him limb from limb. I mean, I was going to say, your sets couldn't have been that extravagant with the amount of time you had. They were and they weren't. It was, it was kind of similar. We didn't we didn't like use a lot of the upper levels like we do now, but we did have a stairway that was com- that w- came down into what you know was the basement um, where they locked themselves in the basement, that family, you know, mm-hmm. or whatever. And then we had the the living room set, and uh, we used the stage. Yeah, these are full set. No, this it was a full set. Yeah, it was a full set. It was a full transformation, yeah. like okay. a, a a full set that we would build now in in months. You guys, I would I remember because I was young and I would I loved the zombie show, so I'd come. Yeah. And I remember in a day the entire set would be changed, painted, lights, put sound, up, lights, everything air. in one night. So if we did that, especially if I did that, and then somebody somebody came in who didn't lift a finger, I would have I would have oh, yeah. turned him into a pretzel. <laughs> on I wish, site. I wish I wish somebody there would have. 
Yeah. <laughs> but I think I was the only one who heard it. But uh, we were uh, blessed in a sense, too, because we had our uh, what I still refer to as our new facility, which is crazy because we've been there 22 years now. Yeah. Um, so all our sound and lights were permanent. Right. So they needed to be adjusted, but that's not anywhere near as bad as like moving them to the from the Riviera, you know, Colonel Payne, Riviera, whatever, back and forth. Yeah. So then, you know, after Riviera, we went back to the schools for a little while. And it really stunk because we never did any Sunday shows. Because the janitors would have had to have been paid overtime. Oh. To open the schools and and be there in case something happened, right? So we didn't do Sunday matinees. We just did a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, two weekends in a row, and that was it. And finally, when we got the new building, you know, that's when we could go back into our matinees again. Because the matinees have always been a really important part of what we do. You know? Yeah, yeah. To be honest, that's my favorite show to go see. You know, one of the Sundays. Yeah. And usually the closing Sunday, like I bring Maddie, we go, you know, I prefer the closing Sunday because I think you you get a little more out of that show because everybody knows it's coming down. Yes. Yeah. And I, I think they're and emotionally they've charged. Yeah. They've also had two weeks now to fully right. perform. Right. Yeah. That too. But yeah, yeah. I know. I know every Sunday matinee that I've ever been in. It's like, all right, this is the last one. Let's. Yeah, Let's goose it a little bit. You know, sometimes people out there that have been on stage and been in really good shows, there's there's some shows you just don't want to let go of. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's almost painful. Uh, it, I always say it's bittersweet because you, you get to move on to the next project, which is always fun. It's a new challenge. Right. But uh, there's certain casts that just gel so well together. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's other shows. Where you're like looking at your watch every ten minutes, like four o'clock, pizza's coming. Let's get the hell out of here. Yeah, I'm done with this cast. I'm done with the show. You know, I was there as a as a director. I think it was the second time I did Night of the Living Dead, and I shouldn't have said this, but (laughs) yeah, I was like, uh, I was in such a mood, and the the zombies in that one were, they did everything they could to drive me up a wall. And was I think the they one, did it on purpose. Wasn't the one I was in? I think so. Yeah, because you did not <laughs> seem. Yeah, and then they like the back backstage was a mess. Everything was a mess. So at the end, I was like, "Thank you all for being a part of this. I wish I could say I enjoyed it, but I just did can't." Did you really say that? I did. I said it to the entire cast. I think you were there, or it was the one that Carla did, and and one of you looked at me and was laughing. I think it was me. I just yeah, <laughs> I, I remember you did not enjoy that one. Yeah. So what? What I want to hear some of those for you, either ones that you did enjoy or ones that you didn't. Like, what are some of your your favorite casts and moments? Um, what's really funny is two different versions of the same show. Okay. Um, Curious Savage. Wow. Whoa. The very first one we did. Yeah. I just love that cast. That cast gelled so incredibly well together. Um. And I just hated for that show to end. Just hated it. That's wow. I, that's surprising because he always talks about how he hates A Curious Savage. I don't hate it. Uh, I just don't like the story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, Same thing. It's along the lines of um, Boys Next Door. You have to do it carefully. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's a huge difference between, you know, laughing with and laughing at. Oh, yeah. And that's a deadly line for 
Boys Next Door. Yeah. But, you know, not as bad for Curious Savage, but these people are, you know, challenged and uh, in one way or another. And it's you you have it's a tight, tight line to walk. Mm -hmm. Um, But the first time we did it, phenomenal. The second time we did it, there was somebody in there that I just couldn't stand being on stage with. And I'm not naming names. (laughs) But what were the years that do you remember when you did them? I don't remember the years. (laughs) This is a part of like. When you're an actor, you it compartmentalize your, your your ability to memorize things. <laughs> yeah. You know, so there's shows. Like, I could probably do Christmas Carol word for word sitting here right now. Right. But don't ask me what I had for breakfast because I don't <laughs> – I just don't remember. It's just, it's, you know, you get older, too. It's less important. You know, yeah. things yeah. are just less important. You don't have room for it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, you know? I agree. I really enjoyed doing Interior Savage. I, I yeah. enjoyed it. I mean, it was my first one, so maybe that's why. But oh, I liked the story. No, it was fun. Was I in that one with you? Yeah, was I, yeah. I was the brother again, right? Yeah, the crazy brother. Yeah, I thought that's the one. Senator. Were... Yeah, whatever his name is. I yeah. thought that's the one you were referring to. Oh, I I didn't know. Was that the one you were referring to? I didn't know if you guys did it twice before or that. three times. Now I think this that was yours was the third one. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Yeah, and then I was like, who are we talking about? I know. I I thought I had someone, but no, now I don't. Now I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I don't know if you would know her. Oh, and then okay. Noodles, too. Noodles, like the, the, the first time we did Noodles, that cast was really tight. And then I'm going to get the name of this one wrong because I'm not even smart enough to remember what shows I was in. <laughs> I think it was Ten Little Indians. Yeah. And it was like the Woomers and Greg Blar and and your dad. Yes. And um, that was just a really tight cast. And we lost a whole weekend because of a storm. I remember that was the October storm. October storm, yeah. Was yep. Surprise, yeah. And it's funny. It's like I lived right down the street from the theater. So your dad calls me. Yeah. And he says, "Would you be willing to go down and walk to the theater and and?" You know, check it out, look around, make sure everything's okay, make sure we didn't have a tree come through a window or whatever. So I'm like, yeah, sure, no problem. So I get dressed and I start strolling down the middle of Shank Street. <laughs> and it's like a war zone. There's cars parked sideways, yeah. crossway In the middle of Shank Street, there's ice falling off of stuff and smashing cars and oh into houses and stuff. And you hear these large cracks and you're like looking up like you're going to get killed by an icicle or something. <laughs> and I made it all the way down to the theater, and I just kind of walked around, and everything seemed to be okay. I walked home, but I did that this Christmas. We just had that big storm; everyone was snowed in for the yeah. weekend. I went down when the roads were semi clear, not clear enough, but exactly that. Cars everywhere, like in the middle of intersections and stuff. And I went in, and there was just a massive pile of snow right in front of the door. That's so funny. Like, this is not a good omen. So like, I I got past all that. Everything else was fine, but. Yeah, right. You right when you walk in, in yeah. those conditions, I wanted to because like, did the roof cave in? Did it, are the costumes are all just covered in snow? Like I, I had to see. I had to figure out what, what happened. Yeah, it makes you nervous. Yeah, you just sit there and think about it the whole time. Like what I mean, went it wrong? It's a very old building, so yeah. Well, but, it reminds me. I don't think we've ever talked about this on on the podcast yet. Of the lodger, and that last Sunday. Yeah, that was. My least favorite performance as an actor in the history of my career, 
and DJ will understand this 100%. I'm not saying anybody else out there doesn't understand this, but when you're wearing two hats and you're the technical director, the lighting director, and you're an actor, if if stuff technically starts to go wrong, it impedes upon your ability to focus on the character. Yeah. And I don't care how good you are or how good you think you are. We had a windstorm. And for the people who 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 have been up there, you understand, the balcony actually moves yeah. during a windstorm. And the way we knew this was because we put lights up there, and they're attached to the balcony, and you can actually see the light patterns moving on the stage. So that's always been a, a fairly normal occurrence, you know, during a windstorm. That, that wasn't what bothered me. We lost power. And typically when you lose power, I, I, I'm an electrician by trade, so I understand how all this stuff works. Um, it takes about 10 seconds for the new grid to kick in. What they do is they re-switch power and bring it in from another direction. Yeah. So the power came on like 10 seconds later, and I kind of said to the people that were off stage, I said, if it goes out again, it's going to be hours, not minutes. And sure enough, like 10 seconds later, the power goes out again. And um, the, the precursor to all this was I'm on stage with Carolyn Woomer, and I'm looking at the light patterns moving. And that's when I realized it wasn't the lights in the balcony. It was the lights above me. Which shouldn't move. That were moving. So the entire building was was actually moving. And it totally took my focus away from the scene. I blew a line and left poor Carolyn out there. um, Just totally hung her. You know, and she covered it. She covered for me. She got through, you know, we got through the scene somehow. And then we all left the stage when the power went out and I think it was your dad was, was talking to the audience and saying, you know, what do you, what do you want to do? And came back and talked to the cast, like, what do you guys want to do? And the cast was very flexible. We were like, you know, whatever, whatever the call is, we'll go home or have our cast party or whatever. And, uh, the audience said, we want to see it. We'll stay. We'll turn our phones on They did for lights. And, um, You know, your your dad sat, like, in the front row and sort of did kind of a narrative, right? Yeah. About music would play here, you know, Mm -hmm. or or this would be a sound effect here or something like that. And uh, we went ahead and did the show bare bones. And I'm telling you. no sound, no lights. That was an interesting experience. That was, you know, theater in its rawest, rawest form. And it was was cool. Yeah. I liked that the audience was willing to. It, Stay and watch. Yeah, it's cool. Like from that, like it's cool to hear it. Like that's that's such an awesome experience. But, not to experience. but when you're on stage and like you have a little thing of light hitting your face and you have to like pretend that you're just gonna act normal and like get through it. Part of the the, the whole part of the logic was the set was amazing. The lighting was amazing. The the music like it, that's what made it. Like the suspense of everything. Like you can't have a a uh, a, a serial killer on the loose with with no soundtrack. Or with no lights, like it, it doesn't work. So I, I was one of the first people. Like I, wa- I let's go home. Yeah. Like w- I will hand the money out of my pocket to the audience. 
I don't care. I I didn't want to do it. It was pretty much the entire second act too. Right? It was. It yeah. Was. I yeah. I, <laughs> I liked that we did it. Yeah, it's a cute story now, yeah. but it was it was awful yeah. in the moment. And I yeah. and I remember yeah. me and you, Jesse, were like, "Yeah, probably shouldn't do it." Yeah. And and everyone else was like, "It's the magic of theater. Let's go out there and <laughs> like I don't the magic of theater is the lights and the sound." Well, see, that's a that's the problem. The, the reason I was definitely against going back out there and doing it bare bones is because I screwed up so badly because I'm watching the lights move, <laughs> and it and it's and it's hard as a technical director actor to to focus like the the littlest things. A sound cue that's late, you know, the audience lights coming on mm-hmm. when you're yeah. on stage. Oh, it just infuriate me, <laughs> and it would affect the entire <laughs> next scene that I was doing until I, you know, had to get over it. Um, and there's been so many crazy times. We were at the Riviera Theater, and it was a torrential downpour. We were doing a show. I don't remember what show it was. It was a musical, and um, Danny Sonnen was like a assisting me at the time and he went on to be a professional in technical theater we've actually had quite a few people do that um coming out of the ghost light and into acting i mean there was a long list of people who went into professional theater from this company and it's it's something to be really proud of um but danny sana was on stage julie was on stage i was on stage which i should never be on stage in a musical i have no business in a musical (laughs) i can't sing i can't dance and we're watching water hit the stage Oh, my God. So Danny and I kind of glance up, and we're watching a leak in the in the roof 100 feet above us hit lighting fixtures. Oh, wow. And drip onto the floor, and we're just waiting for one of those lighting fixtures to explode. Yeah. Because the lamps are so hot, if they get hit with cold water, they're just going to blow up immediately. Yeah. So that was one bad one. Um, You know, <laughs> there's another time your father... Your father hates the headsets. Yeah. Because he doesn't want to know. He doesn't want to hear anybody. He doesn't want to know. <laughs> right. Because he'll be running the light board or the soundboard. He just doesn't He doesn't want to know. So we had a headset system at the Riviera. And I was on the headset. And I think Dan Sana was on the headset. And we could smell something burning backstage. And we didn't know <laughs> what was happening. So... We're running around scampering, trying to find whatever was getting hot. And um, I think Julie Julie or somebody was up in the booth with Don, uh, up in the balcony running sound or whatever. And I said, don't panic. Don't let Don know we got a small fire backstage. (laughs) (laughs) And he had the headsets on (laughs) for the first time. (laughs) And and he heard the whole thing. So it it turned out it was just a plug that was overheating. It didn't actually start. A conflagration, but um, there's, there's so many of those times when you just something technical goes wrong and you just you get pulled out of the mood and it's it's yeah. horrible. Oh yeah, it's so much better when you're not the technical director and you blame somebody else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it is point and laugh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's hard to be when you're in a show and all right, I have to to think about doing the lights and then do the lights and then it's it's hard when you design a light. I'm sure you you feel this. When you design a lighting scheme and somebody else is doing it, is running the lights, and they're just not doing it how you designed it. That yeah. is, like, the most frustrating thing ever. I, I would I would trade my role to be up there at that light board so it, it looks right. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it, there's a lot of, you know, difficulty with 
uh, you know, people think you're technical director for a small community theater or whatever, and it's an easy job. It's like we have hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of equipment that's really complex. Yeah. And, you know, people see a picture of the soundboard and they just go total, oh, my God, I'm never touching that thing as long as I can live. And it's not really that complicated once you know it. Right. Like anything, like a computer program. You know, first time you use a computer program, you're like, oh, and, and you learn it, you know, and, and, right. and, and you get it. Um, one of the things that, that's always bothered me, and I'm not saying it happens now, but when I go somewhere and see another production and the sound isn't localized, and by localized I mean, you know, you're doing Diary of Anne Frank, and our main speakers are up on the ceiling. That's where I, I installed our, our main speakers. They're high up um, because the sound from the music doesn't, it's not, it doesn't need to be localized. Right. But like a car driving outside of a set window or birds in a garden or whatever, I always set the system up to make it localized because it, it's, it's more believable that way. And in, in the Diary of Van Frank, uh, production of that I saw the Nazis walking outside you could hear their boots on the street were coming from the ceiling and I was just like I it disturbed me maybe I, I guess probably most people don't notice that right but that's another thing too like if, if you're an actor or a technician and you go see another production it's really difficult to enjoy the production you have to turn yourself off mm -hmm. right you know, because you're looking at the lights, you're listening to the sound, you're looking at an actor, and, you know, a big adage for any actor is, I could have done it better. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know? And it, it's, it can be difficult to enjoy a production. I used to go see a ton of stuff in Buffalo, and I, I, I just don't go anymore because it's, it's too distracting. Right. Well, yeah, and especially for doing it 40-something years. I mean, you yeah. know it like the back of your hand, and you, you yeah. know how to put together a production, yet... You go, sorry. I, I always wondered, how did the theater come to get this equipment? How, how did they acquire it? Was it, like, through grants or... Uh... Theft. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I was okay. going to say they just stole it. <laughs> okay, stole it from where? <laughs> you know what? Basically, like, back when we were the um, part of the rec department, um, we were actually doing pretty good financially. Um, because nobody got paid. We didn't have a building to pay for. Everything everything we did was basically free. Uh, we weren't paying rent until we got to the Riviera. Um, so money-wise, we were actually doing pretty good. And the director of the recreation department at the time was John Silsby. And, um, you know, he kind of managed our funds and, and kept us abreast of what was going on. And, and Don would say to me, he would say, we've got $3,000 in the account. Go buy some lights. Go buy some sound equipment. Go buy whatever. And I would have to take a purchase order from the city mm. and go to wherever I was buying stuff from. And, you know, bit by bit, piece by piece, we put a lot of stuff together. And then I'm so terrible with dates and years. So forgive me, but some... Somewhere in the 2000s, obviously, when we were in the new building, I don't want to, like, miss anybody, but there were some people, I think Lynn Metzger and Joanne Miss were the primary drivers behind uh, achieving a $25,000 grant. 
Oh my wow. god. And that's when we that's got the new lighting board and the source fours. Uh we didn't we didn't do anything with sound. That was all lighting grant. And that's when we did all the electrical up upstairs, all the new electrical and, and tied it into the dimmers. Um the lights had already been hung, our old lights. And right. DJ will tell you, we have lights from the 1950s yeah. that are still up in the balcony that should just be thrown out. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so it was like bit by bit, piece by piece. I actually I actually bought the soundboard from a friend of mine who was an audio engineer because the, the soundboard that we used to have, which is still sitting on the corner of the, yeah. the booth as you walk in, um. It didn't have as n- enough outputs for me. I wanted more outputs because I wanted to be able to really uh, localize the sound to to the extent that you could assign a particular playback equipment to a bus that goes to a specific speaker by having more outputs. And that board has eight eight outputs. Yeah. So it gave me much more flexibility. And, 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 and an example, and, and it was one of the, my favorite effects of all times, in It's a Wonderful Life, um, whoever plays, uh, what's what's the name? I'm terrible. George's George wife. Bo- jo- uh, Mary. Mary. Okay. So Mary and George are on stage, and they're looking at the old mansion. And she, well, he throws a rock. And you, you get this dull thud sound because he misses. Right. And th- she throws a rock, and, of course, she breaks like 17 windows. You hear it. <laughs> right, right. But. The first time I did that, I had the speaker up in the balcony. So when she throws the rock, you hear the glass breaking behind you. And all the people are turning around looking like, what? What What the heck was that? I love that. So, I mean, that's, you know, that's how we got that that soundboard was a a friend of mine that was an audio engineer. And he uh, had friends that were selling equipment in Buffalo. And we, we paid very little for that board. And we just keep the old one as a backup in case of an emergency. We also have the old lighting board, the LSS board. It's underneath there. Uh, yeah. Oh, that is a huge. Uh, it's 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 not as big as the one we have now. Oh, okay. So it's, I'm thinking something different. But it's funny because one time, we had a malfunction. In our lighting board, and I had to put that LSS board up into action, and it wasn't the same control system. So none of the programming was working, and we only had about maybe half of the lights that we would normally have with the with the old lighting board, and we had to send that board all the way to Oregon. Whoa! To get it repaired. Oh my God! What was so wrong it with came it? Came back. Uh, something electronic, computerized. But yeah, that's the, a nightmare. The was company's that, all the way out. In was that like during rehearsals of performance? Was it just a random day? It was during. It was during a show. You had to switch the board during a show. Yeah, that's outrageous. Whoa. Yeah, <laughs> I couldn't. Well, do I that. think I think I was able to switch the board out before the show started, but it was literally like. Still. You know. Normally, like if you work for a professional theater company, your 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 call is anywhere between a half an hour and an hour before a show. But we've always had a two-hour call. But if, like like I've been saying, if you're the technical director and DJ knows this, there's no two-hour call. You get there like four hours before the show starts. Yeah. 
because you didn't sleep the whole night before wondering if everything was going to function the way it's supposed to function. Right. Especially tricky special effects and whatnot. Yeah. So I would get there really early. I'd be with, like, Don would be walking in the door, I'd be walking in the door, and everybody else would be, like, two hours later. Yep. <laughs> but I would be firing everything up and checking everything. So I think I found it um, pre-show, and I was able to swap that lighting board out. And I think it was Molly who was actually running the light board, and she was, like, she got there early, and she was just trying to figure out whatever she could do. She had about half of the fixtures that were designed for the show. That's in, awful. In, in control, yeah. <laughs> what show was it? I don't remember. I do not remember. Uh, yeah, I don't remember. I would have just panicked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, somebody uh. will mention it to one of us in the next week or two. Yeah, yeah, it was this show, and yes, I was on the board. And oh, I'm sure. I'm yeah. sure. I get those texts all the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was it correcting was, what we say. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm. I guarantee some of the things I say are, are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was kind of nuts. Like the sound system. The way it was designed has multiple redundancies. So you've got four different types of playback capability. And I don't know what the policy at the theater is now, but like for the musical, I had a mini disc, which is far more reliable than a CD. Yeah. But I had a backup mini disc and we had two mini disc players. And I have a backup CD. So for the musical, what I would do when I was running sound, because I ran sound for pretty much every musical in the last 20 years, I would actually have a CD playing at the exact same time as the mini disc on a different channel. Wow. That was down. If the mini disc failed, all I had to do is bring the volume up on the CD. <laughs> and the wow. music was going, you know, and you synced them. I mean... Yeah, I would record the mini disc off the CD that was playing at the same time, and uh, we have multiple redundancies with amplifiers. We have four amplifiers that you can switch from one to four at any point. Now you might not get the localized sound at that point. You might just have to live with, you know, the birds on the ceiling. But at right. least there's birds, right? You know, and in a musical, like I did, um, is it Joseph? I think it was Joseph. Joseph has no dialogue. Yeah, yeah. None. It's all music. And it's one cue into the next, into the next, into the next. Plus, we had sound effects. And I think that show had like 193 cues. And start to finish, there was no break. Oh, my. It just went straight through. And I aged (laughs) a lot during that production. I bet. That was insane, but. Yeah, and it's funny because it's always based on failure. It's failure is how you learn. How you learn, you know. It's like, oh, I was DJing one time. No offense intended. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my amp burned out, and I didn't have a backup. Oh, and it was somebody's party. I'm like, oh, sorry about wrecking your party, but you know, the amp burned up. So ever ever since then, it was like. Did you get paid for that? No, uh, probably not. <laughs> Ever since then, it's always been have you know have a backup plan. Yeah. Well, every time I've been on sound, it's been something has has malfunctioned, and so I I I remember it was Nosferatu, and I had this song played, 
for a thousand rehearsals. So everyone knows the song and they, they get used to the song and I'm clicking it. It's not playing. I've got the volume up. I troubleshoot a couple of things while it's supposed to be playing. So I just find some random CD, toss it in and play that song. And like, it <laughs> was a spooky. Song- oh, okay. It was just like a, it was supposed to be a, a spooky song, but like you have to be Ready. cool under pressure there. And, and, Everything, every piece of equipment up there. I, I've had a mini disc fail, a CD fail. The computer has failed me multiple times, and I'm just like, okay, I, I'm just gonna start singing into a microphone <laughs> at this point. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've it's, never done sound, only lights. It's scary. Sound is a lot more stressful than lights. Yeah, it seems like it. Yeah, yeah, sound can be really stressful. And then there's other shows where it's like, you know, you're reading a book up there. Yeah, yeah, lightboard too. I mean, lights yeah. can be really dynamic, or they could be. You know, and it's funny because our board has the full technical capabilities of being 100% programmed. So all you need to do is hit the go button. Right. But uh, DJ and I are the same in the sense that I don't want my lighting technician to be a robot. Yeah. I want my lighting to. In fact, I will say this and, you know, you can all hate me if you want. The best technicians are actors and actresses because they know what it's like to be up there. Yeah. And they know the impact that, that lighting and sound can mm-hmm. can actually have on a production. And I think once I did sound while you were doing lights, Alex, is that correct? We did a show together? Maybe. In the booth? I did Nonsense and... Did I run sound for that? No. I don't remember. I don't uh, think I did. All through the night? Maybe I did. It might have been all through the night then. Maybe. If you did lights and I did sound? I don't, I don't remember. I haven't been in all through the night in I don't know how many years. It's been a while. It's been a it's while. Been a long time. I mean, I, I, I played every role in all through the night except Neil and George. You never played George? No. I played George. That's wild to me. I originated, I originated David the magician, who's no longer in it. Yeah. I played Charlie. I played Irving. Um. Jeremy. Jeremy, I I did Jeremy a couple times. Talk about a great role. You sit on your fat caboose, (laughs) my fat caboose, (laughs) in the green room. Eating snacks left by children and reading a book or, or doing whatever it is you want to do, messing around in your phone, and you come back out at the last minute and get to do an absolutely glorious monologue. So you're on stage like 30 seconds, and the audience is like, wow, yep, that guy's really good. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, it's a, what, minute-long monologue maybe? Yeah. But it's so poignant. It, it like ties the whole show together and uh everybody's like yeah that was really great you did a really great job and it's like i just woke up yeah (laughs) i was sleeping back there callum played it this last time we did it when i directed it and i think it was his first it was his first role role with us and you know kirsten and i are on stage and we're, we're like trying to get every moment like we're trying to juice it out there and and we'd go back, and he he was it was a Thursday night game. He was watching Colts Patriots, and I'm a Patriots fan, so he would Colts Ooh. won, and so he he kept Ooh. showing the score, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we'd go back there, he's just sitting there watching it, 
I'm like, dude, we're, we're busting out there. And, and then he comes on and steals the show in the end. And right. Like always. But yeah, you're just watching football. You yeah. Know? But it's like <laughs> what I, my original point with that is, is when you have an artist who's a technician, um, they put more into it. They feel. Yeah. More. And I think like I was the reason I was saying that I think you and I did a show together technically wise is because there's times when you feel like you hit it out of the park as a board operator. And and it's such subtleties. It's it's so subtle. It's like changing the volume of a song because the audience is like really feeling the emotion and the and the actor yes. actress yes. that's singing, you know, you follow them. It's almost like being a orchestral director or whatever. Yeah. Um and 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 lights. And it's 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 almost like, you know, at the end of a rock song there's always that guitar and, and drum boom that finishes the whole thing and everybody's like, Yeah, that was awesome. That's how it feels sometimes at the end of a production when you bring that light fader yeah. down. Yeah. yeah. It does. You know, and you feel like, oh, my God, I was really part of that. Yeah. Instead of just being, you know, a boob sitting in the booth. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> eating donuts and drinking coffee. It's like yeah. you really feel like you're part of the production. And um, that's why I love to have actors up there in the booth because they just they feel it better. They know what it's like. I, I love it. Yeah. I've always loved uh, an, like any stage crew behind the scenes outside of acting. Yeah. Learning all of that, too. The other thing, too, is I, I want to give... A tremendous amount of credit to DJ's parents, my my brother and and Debbie, uh, DJ's mom, because as frustrating as as either one of the two of them could be, <laughs> the challenges they came up with were so incredible. Sometimes. Um, you know, for an example, in, in The Foreigner, your father's like, can we make somebody disappear in the middle of the floor? Yeah. How much money do I have? 20 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> can you blow up a Volkswagen? Yeah. How much money you got? 20 bucks. <laughs> you know, Treasure Island. Can we shoot a cannon off on stage <laughs> and have smoke and everything? Yeah. How much money? You got? 20 bucks. <laughs> you know? So you have to be really creative. And I didn't do the cannon. There was a, a cast member that did the cannon. And he was he was brilliant, and he helped me. We we basically, I don't want to tell secrets of theater, but we, we converted one of those old light fixtures, turned it into a cannon, and then shot the thing during the show. That's really cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. It was one of the old, we could, I, we could tell. People obviously figured it out by now, but we had a uh, one of the old lighting fixtures. And the lighting fixture has a reflective cup in it that any light that goes backwards, it beams it back out, right? So you're not losing light. So we took that and we, we experimented with a bunch of different powders. And for, for various reasons, what we wound up falling onto is cornstarch. And we tried like talcum powder. Problem with talcum powder is there's little tiny pieces of, of talc that are like bullets. And when we blew them out, oh, wow. they're actually hitting people in the house. Oh, wow. <laughs> Plus you could smell it. Yeah, it was like yeah. a baby farted. Like, jeez, <laughs> what the heck is that? You know, cornstarch had no odor, and it's very heavy, so it fell very quickly. Yeah. So we put cornstarch in this reflective cup. I had a light fixture back behind it that was, uh, like, in the red-orange spectrum. And then we had a speaker right behind it. 
and we hooked it up to what's called a pancake compressor. It's just basically it looks like a pancake. It's a small compressor full of compressed air, which we would fill up before the production. And you would hit a button with a solenoid, and it would blow the air. At the same time, the, the light flashed, and the sound went off. The big boom of the cannon. Yeah. And then we had a splash effect that followed that up in the up in the balcony or a crashing. Right. Like a cannonball going through the you know, the, the rigging of a ship or whatever. And um I think Julie or somebody was backstage where they could see that reflective cup with the air compressor and she would just fill it again. Mm-hmm. You know, just put a spoonful of corn. That's really there. cool. And yeah, boom. And it was it was a team effort. A lot of the, a lot of the really, really good stuff is a team effort. But right. you know, there's like sometimes I think it was Pippin and your mother's like at the end of Pippin, we have twenty people on stage. Can you make them disappear? I remember you and guys I'm like, that. we'll come up with something. We'll figure something out, you know. And what we did is we surrounded that entire pod with PVC pipe, with holes drilled in it. And then we had two Martin fifteen hundred fog machines that were connected to those lines, and we just pump all that fog through, and it basically created a curtain of fog. And then we would have a flash of light. And a big sound effect, and then um, the fog would get shut off, and we had fans that was sucking the fan the the fog, yeah, you know, up through the ceiling as quickly as possible, and uh, Pippin would be on stage all by himself. It was it's the end of like when he wakes up, he's having a dream, yeah, yeah, yeah. and they're all you know singing to him or whatever, and then all of a sudden we have the fog effect, they're all on the pod, and then um, we have this big sound effect and lighting effect and and then all the cast members will, will walk off the back into uh you know curtains and uh there's Pippin by himself and it's but it's those challenges I'm not I'm not really I'm not trying to you know pump myself up here it's just without the creative thinking of the entire team I never would have had those challenges right they never would have come I and I wouldn't have thought of it by myself in most cases but there's other times where it's like heartbreaking. You work on something so hard and so long. And then the first time you try it and the director's like, yeah, sorry, it doesn't work for me. And and when you're a technician, especially when you're in a technician of a tight company like this with so many creative people, you can't take offense to it. Right. You just got to let it roll off your back and just carry on to the next thing. But, I mean, you know, how many times have you spent hours designing a set and your dad looks at it and goes, that's not going to work. Yep. And you're just like, yeah, well, let me try. Yeah. But years of experience, he's like, it's not going to work. Yeah, Silver Lady, I had a whole set design I was really excited about, and I showed it to him. He goes, uh, yeah, no, I have a design. <laughs> I was like, oh, fine. So he went with, with his design. But, yeah, oh, I know. I know how that is. I worked on an effect um, for your mom for Oliver, I believe it was. And I basically had two projectors up in the in the in the ceiling, basically. They were hung from the ceiling. And they were supposed to project the skyline of London. And it was really a as far as I was concerned, it was a really cool effect. But we had a sort of an incident. Um <clears throat> one of the lighting fixtures was aimed where the focal point was just like perfectly on one of the suspension ropes. Oh, 
for the oh. for the pro, uh, the uh, projector. Yeah, and I'm anal about safety, so I have multiple re- redundancies on anything that's hung above the audience or the stage, and um, the light burned through one corner of the rope for the projector, and it swung down in the <laughs> middle of a rehearsal. So. I don't think it was just that. I think it just didn't look right for whatever Debbie's vision was for, and and we cut it, you know. And I pulled the two projectors off the ceiling. We never used it, and it. But it's like, you know, in order to get it up there, you got somebody in the attic and somebody on the scaffold. Yeah, and, it, and that's a tremendous amount of work. And yeah, you know, you you put so much work into something, and then it's like, eh, it doesn't work, you know. And you you decide. Sometimes you do it on your own, you know. Sometimes yeah. you develop an effect or a lighting. And you're looking at it in uh, rehearsals or whatever, and you're just like, "Yeah, it's just it's just not gonna not gonna work." Yeah. Yeah, and sometimes you know? it's not a reflection of your skill set; it's just doesn't work for the production. Yeah. Or someone with more experience has a, the ability to foresee right. how something wouldn't work. Yeah. Was, well, and if you're honest with yourself, and you you look at what you did and what you changed and whatever, and then you say. Oh, that was really a good decision. And it's funny because in Treasure Island, I played Billy Bones, is it, or something. Anyway, <laughs> one of the scumbag pirates. And your mom put me in this, like, gorgeous, I looked like royalty, if you can believe I would ever look <laughs> like royalty. <laughs> um <laughs> suit like it was it would be akin to something fred would wear in christmas carol right right i mean because he was a wealthier man it, it just looked beautiful and brilliant and your father was like no he's a scumbag he needs to look like a scumbag and my next costume was just torn ragged holes stained and i was like yeah I love that first costume so much. <laughs> <laughs> Away it went. But in the end, it was right because this, you know, scumbag be- beggar pirate would right. not have been dressed in royal fine final, uh, you know, clothes. Right. But so, yeah. did you become an electrician out of sheer interest, and the theater just got lucky to have an in-house technician? It's the theater that moved me into electrical. Really, because we started playing around with electrical back when I was 16, 17, 18 years old with the lights and stuff like that. And uh, that can be a pretty harsh course of learning, but luckily I didn't get killed. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, so that's kind of the field I went into. But I, I wasn't always an electrician. I worked for, for quite a long time at a ceiling fan company. We actually manufactured ceiling fans right here in Buffalo. And uh, I learned a lot of the electrical there. And then uh, I worked there until my family actually opened up a bar in Bolinelli right in North Tonawanda, and I worked there. But it was so slow in the summertime, you know, Mm -hmm. that I started looking for additional work elsewhere. And that's when I got a part-time job at, at a company called Brown Electric, and that's when I started seriously 
as an electrician, and that would have been in the 90s. But I've been messing around with it since I was very young, sometimes with not so great results. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. when when did you really like take a step back and hand over the technical reins to DJ or whoever else works on I mean, I'm pretty sure. It was a fairly unfair situation. And I've I've sort of logically explained it to myself that it was it was okay because I didn't have a choice. Um, but the company I worked for um, started to make me travel, okay. and I would be out of town for long periods of time, and so I would miss entire productions. Um, and that's when I just I had a heart to heart with Dom, and I said. I don't want to lose my job, so I'm going to need to travel. And I said, you know, DJ and I had collaborated a couple times on different shows. So as a young kid, he was you could tell he was a very talented designer and he was really getting into it. He used to draw. Yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, he would draw sets that he didn't even design. He would draw like his dad would do a set. And he would do a conceptual rendering of it. And I don't, I mean, we're talking like 10, maybe 10 or 11 years old. He was doing conceptual renderings of, of a set that was already built. And we, you know, we thought it was cool. And it's like, you, you have to understand that you're limited in time. You're not always going to be able to do the stuff you want to do. Right. Um, and you have to sort of look to the future. And I've had, a tremendous number of protégés who work with me, you know, Jason Clark, um, Danny Sonnen was was my young protégé and turned up to, you know, become the master. Uh, like Jason. Jason knows ten times more than I will ever know about theater. Now he's doing it on a professional level. Um, there's been other people along the way. I don't, I don't mean to leave anybody out. Um, but you have to look to the future of the company if you love the company you have to understand that it's got to it's got to have a new vision mm-hmm. and i spent a lot of time reflecting when i was doing the traveling and i would come home and i would see a production that that dj had designed and there would be moments when i had concerns like you know b- but then you see growth and you see development and you also see a new vision and there's a time when you have to say to your, uh, yourself in a creative environment like this theater is, you need new direction. You need a new vision. And as I saw him developing, as I would come back from being in Altoona, Pennsylvania, or God knows where in the country, uh, I would come back and, and see the development of the designs and the new vision. And that made me excited for the company. And I, like I've I said this to DJ, I've, I've internalized this, and I feel like I abandoned the company. You know, I really do, because for so many years, I mean, all I ever did was work and then come to the theater. You know, uh, two of my kids were raised in the theater. Um, Maddie spent a lot of time at the theater, but Justine was, Justine was in my lap while I was on the scaffold hanging lights, <laughs> you know. Um but you, you have to, at some point, you just have to understand that, you know, your vision is not, it's not the future. 
And my vision is not the future. It's just, it's just not, you know. That's a very, (laughs) such a heartfelt, profound thing to say, I feel like. It's, it's, I think I, you know, you have to realize that and everything in in, in some sense. And, uh, you know, DJ just talked about being a a football fan of the Cheatriots. I mean, Patriots. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because I'm a, I'm a real football fan. (laughs) I'm a, I'm a Bills fan. And DJ and I, DJ and I rip each other all season long <laughs> that some of the texts would probably be too profane <laughs> to read here but they're funny nonetheless but it's like it's like when a when a quarterback when when like tom brady right y- you can hate the man as much as you want i hate him because i'm a bills fan all right and i don't know him. i don't know him as a man i hate him as a quarterback but he had to say enough is enough you know it's time to move on and and it's even more so in a creative position because when you're the technical vision of a theater company, which I was the technical vision for a very long time, um, you see that impact. You can see the influence that I had on it. Now, I was really lucky because I had two people working with me, um, Don and Debbie, whose artistic vision was and still is to this day incredible right um your dad's overall ability to create whatever needs to be created for that story to to develop you know and and be beautiful your mom her artistic vision in the way things look was just staggering for years and uh, you know we fought cat and dog Oh yeah, yeah. Your your mom and I, but we loved each other and we always got along for the for the sake of the show. Like when I say we fought like cat and dog, well, like brother and sister, yeah, over different concepts, right? Like she would bust her butt putting together this gorgeous furniture, and and would paint it. She would literally paint couches because she wanted them a certain hue, and I would hit it with a light that was the wrong color. And she would just rip me a new one, right? And I'd be up on the scaffold changing the changing the gels and all that. But in the end, you look at it and you go, "Well, yeah, you know what? She was she was right." But when you're driving that vision, and I had so many people that that along the ways that were such creative, wonderful people that that helped and gave me ideas. Like Chris Fire was amazing for his input on things, and um, Christine Cooper was our lighting person for a long time. She was she was incredible. Um, you know, Joanne, um, your mom, your dad, I mean, so many people throughout the years that that helped me, but it was still my vision and and and, and I just got to that point like this, this is it's old, it's tired, you know, my vision. And then of course I'm old and tired, so I don't want to <laughs> climb the damn <laughs> scaffold anymore. That scaffold can be scary, I'll tell you that. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's but old. It is a younger person's art form technical theater and again in the last 20 years you think about what's changed you know we all have cell phones in our pockets right now guaranteed and 20 years ago there were no i didn't have a cell phone right mm-hmm. um and 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 the technical theater has come a, a really long way we didn't have a computer i mean we used to we used to play our sound effects on tapes wow cassette tapes you know, and then when CDs came along, we were all like, oh, cool. 
you know so i mean it's just it's time for a new vision and it, and i like where it's going i like what i'm seeing it's uh it's refreshing you know well, i think it's very admirable to recognize when it you feel it's time to pass it on to the next generation but a lot of it is still like your vision is is still part of, yeah, of like what i do yeah like i mean i i've watched every show that's been put on at the theater so i've seen my, my dad's vision my mom's vision your vision all working at once and my dad was saying the other day which like meant the world like just meant the most to me like he he was saying like i picked up on on your guys's stuff and like and and am the, the best of that and i try to i i try to do that and, and have my mom's design aspect and my dad's um how he directs and tells a story and, and your technical your effects like through the years i as a kid was just like mesmerized by and my dad i told him this he's got to stop he writes a fire into every play whether it's a fireplace <laughs> the whole stage is lit on fire or something i said you can't you st- stop yeah you gotta stop i can't i don't how do you make a fire on you don't it doesn't happen see i was back back in the in the day when i when i first like learned how to make a fire on stage was so cheesy and and basically what it was is a fan underneath like built up bricks or whatever and then i would take strips of white silk and actually attach them with staples to logs and then we would put red and orange lights in there and you turn the fan on, and the silk is all flopping around in the breeze, <laughs> and it gets hit with the light, and it, and it looks really good. It looks like fire. It looks yeah. really good. Um, but it still is kind of cheesy. And, and when, like, digital technology came up, uh, I was so happy because we would have a fireplace, and we would just basically slip this big screen TV behind the fireplace and put on one of those Yule Log yeah, videos yeah. <laughs> and just let it run the whole time. And it looks really good for a fireplace. Yeah. It doesn't look good when you need a campfire and you got to have the <laughs> right. the flames and the embers, and so you go back to the old. But they've got them now that you can buy that are you know commercially available. They're not that not that great, but better than trying to do a fire. Because I played around with it for years to, to to get it where I wanted to, and he's been doing that a lot. He's done that since uh, since eighty two. Yeah. Yeah, writing fires onto his onto his sets. Yeah. yeah. Then then now the whole set needs to be engulfed in flames. <laughs> I I don't know what to tell you. I can't I can't You're do just that. Just like okay, I'm gonna put the actual set. Yeah, like w- yeah, <laughs> it, it will flames. never be. And and you always used to use like projectors for for fires. Yeah. Which I always liked because it's like okay, it's a it's a moving thing you can see. Yeah. I've gotten just lazy and I just put the lights up the the swirly fire lights. Which I think throw a great effect on people's faces, but you can see that there's no fire coming out of the pit. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think they look awful. But yeah, but like I, like you know, a fire, it's 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 a yeah. flame. You can see the physical yeah. flame, and and so I said, stop, <laughs> stop. Effects. You just need a break. <laughs> <laughs> Effects were always my favorite part because those were, you know, the most challenging and and one of my favorite ones ever. Don't quote me. I think the play was The Uninvited. I don't remember. I have such a horrible memory. I should have reviewed all the shows. Um, but it was actually my ex-wife, Stacy. We have this old, like, ghosty kind of wedding dress that was from one production or another. And this is the one where 
the lady died uh, like falling off a cliff or something? Yeah, that's the uninvited. Uninvited, okay. Yeah. So what I did is I, she was the basis for a picture. And I took a picture of her in a wedding dress and then I, I put it, I photoshopped it onto a, like an Irish cliff. And that's still back in the green room somewhere. Oh, wow. And then um, I had it printed. I worked at Fisher Price at the time, and they had these giant plotters. So they, they printed it out in a you know frame size, and that was on the wall. So she was actually the woman who jumped off the cliff. Yeah. So what I did was I, I videotaped her in that, like, tattered wedding dress we have somewhere in the costume room. It's, like, grays and dark and a little bit of white smattered in her or whatever. And I had her walk back and forth in front of a black curtain, you know, kind of an eerie pacing back and forth. Yeah. And then I had her walk directly towards the camera. I have another one, too. It's my favorite. I'll tell you in a minute. But I had her, like, come towards me, and I reversed in software all the uh, color tones. Yeah. So, like, um, not negative, but it, it was reversed. All okay. the color tones were reversed um, and modified slightly. I had a bunch of things I did to it. And then we had French doors with sheer curtains on uh. them. And I took the projector backstage, and I put it above the level of the door so no matter what happened, the audience couldn't see it. Yeah. And we projected that image of my wife going back and forth, and it was – like she would pass the door, and you would see the image, and she would pass. But it was actually on the curtains. Yeah. And it looked like somebody was there. And then as she's walking towards the, towards me in the in the videotape, one of the actors on stage whips open those two doors, <laughs> and nobody's there. That's really That's cool. cool. And the audience was afterwards, you know, people that knew that I did tech stuff, they were like, how'd you do that? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I can't tell you. You're Go ask magician. David Copperfield how yeah. he did his last yeah. trick. You know, but that that like challenges like that, like where you have to think out of the box to get that stuff done. It was was fun, and I I've done so many fun things with projectors, and this is the, the, one of the stupidest things. Uh, we were doing Big River the first time we did Big River, and if you look back into the archives and you look at the photos of the productions, it's one of my favorite all time lighting designs I ever did. But it's when Tom and Jim are on the river, on the raft, and I think it's when they sing Worlds Apart. Would that be correct? I'm not I'm not sure of that one. I don't know Worlds that musical. Apart, I think I think that's correct. Worlds the song Worlds Apart. Um But anyway, so they're on the raft in the middle of, of the river and if you notice like at the theater when you're on the right side of the house Stage left, right side of the house. If you look up at the egg crate that I installed in the holes that I cut for ventilation in 19, oh no, 2001 or two, there's a small corner missing yeah. out of the, the egg crate. Yeah, That was because I had a projector up in the attic with a water ripple effect uh. shooting down onto the raft. And the area around it, because now you use those blue lights that you can buy, you know, at what Spencer's or Amer- uh, Guitar Factory or yeah. whatever. But I didn't have that 
capability at the time, so I had to figure out what was going on. So I was sitting in my backyard, and probably there was probably some alcohol involved. And just, <laughs> it, might have, it might have been the case. But we had like a kiddie pool yeah. for my for my two dogs, and um, the two dogs are, you know, messing around in the pool, and I was at the perfect angle where the sunlight was bouncing off the the pool and hitting my eye. Yeah. And I could see, like, around me the effects of that water rippling. Yeah. You know? And I was like, it dawned on me in that, uh, at that point. I was like, I think I can do this. So what I did is, because you, you couldn't go on the computer at that point and say, you know, download a ripple effect. They just, they weren't around. You didn't have them. Right. So I took a children's sled that, you know, the plastic ones yeah. with the cheap handles and all that. <laughs> yeah. And I put roofing shingles down inside it, and I filled it with water. And I took my camera, and I got my camera at the perfect angle, obtuse to the sun. It was, like, direct opposite, so it w- the sun was beating down on the water. Yeah. And I had my ex-wife rock it with her foot, and I videotaped it. And you couldn't see anything on the videotape. And I was so darn depressed. I was like, dang it, i got to figure something out. I went in and I loaded it up onto the computer, and it was perfect. It cast that water effect all over the walls of my That's so cool. My house. So that's the one I used for Big River. That's the actual effect. And somewhere at the theater, that effect is on a disc. That is somewhere. so cool. I didn't, I didn't know any of that. Yep, that's how I first did it. That was just, and it was, like I said, it, was, it, it wasn't like a moment of genius. It was just you play around until you get it right. And back then, that's like now you can just go on a computer. That's like, what I was going to It's so easy for me now. It's just, yeah, water effect and a thousand yeah. different lights will come up. And oh, one, of, one, of my, one of my favorite things that, that we ever did was, because um, actually I was working with DJ, is we did the radio broadcast of, of War of the World. War, War of the World. War of the World. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know if it was DJ's idea or Don's idea, but um, the idea came out that we would do it all the sound effects uh like fully so we weren't going to allow any real electronic sound effects we had to you know sort of think out of the box and come up with anything we wanted for mechanicals we could use anything mechanical we wanted right yeah and dj and i were the sound technicians he was the nerdy guy go figure (laughs) <laughs> and that was the nerdier guy go figure <laughs> so we sat there and that's all we did for the whole show was made so made noises yeah right and it's it's oh, it was yeah. it was such that a was cool it was such a go back to basics thing that you know it was really really cool because now like i got a i got a program from a friend of mine when i was working at fisher price called soundforge and it's the sonic foundry and we don't use it anymore. It was basically for audio engineers. And with that, he also gave me a 40-gig sound effect file. And this sound effects file we still have and, and use at the theater. And, yes, we paid for it. It's all legal. <laughs> um, you can literally research 68 Corvette, door close, start up, drive away. And it's in there. Yep. It's in there. Wow. But SoundForge, like, I used to love that program. I love working with it so much. I just fell in love with it. Because like your dad, being who your dad is, yeah, he would come up to me and say, 
we need a street sound effect here, but we need to hear somebody murdered in the background <laughs> at the same time a fire truck is driving by, you know, while the Martians are landing or something. I not that crazy. <laughs> but he would he would request these, like one show. He requested, or the script requested—I don't remember—a sound so low in tone, you couldn't hear it, but you felt it. Oh wow! Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> what I did was I, I took a low tone, which you could create in SoundForge, the lowest note that that you could play in there, and I transposed it over and over and over again, lower and lower. Well, the human ear can only hear to like 20k. And you can actually use the software to drive it lower than that. But you literally can't check it. You can see it visually right. in the software, yeah, but you can't, can't check it. it. Yeah. You can't hear it. Your speakers won't produce it, basically. Or if you got really good speakers, they're producing it, but you're, you just you really can't hear it. But you would feel it. You'd feel it in your chest, right? So I took speakers, and I set them right up against the front of the stage. And when that note played, the seats would literally vibrate. And people were like, what was that? It's like, do you vibrate the whole theater? <laughs> and it's like, no, believe it or not, it's a sound effect. Whoa. That is, ins- I never knew that. Yeah, I can, it was, it was, I can see the two kids, Ben, I think the kid's name was, the actor, not the, was it Ben? I don't remember. I can see the two kids on the stage facing each other. Was it the Innocents? Could be with the light shining up through them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We use that. Um, it's not plexiglass. It's not mylar. I can't remember the name of the stuff. I bought it years ago. It's real expensive, three quarter inch thick, clear substance. You can shoot light through. You can walk on it. You can do all that stuff. So they're kneeling in front of that. Yeah, but it was in that show where that sound effect had to play, and it was, it was something tied in with one of the ghosts or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those creative, like, like SoundForge, you know, anything you wanted, you could overlay them by multi-tracking as much as you wanted. And it's cheating. I mean, back in the old day, we was Foley artists. We never would have been able to do that. Right. You know? And, and that was, that was fun doing that that way. I mean, we literally had like bells and a pair of shoes and a wooden block. And, and like different bottles, different yeah. sizes we'd blow in for different. Yep. Noises, that. yeah, that was fun. And crowd noises, like the entire cast would would like lean towards our tables, and we'd hold a microphone out. Yeah, and they'd make all the crowd noises and stuff. And it was. Would you ever do that again? The War of the Worlds. Um. Well, we tried to do another radio show, and that was a COVID year. And afterwards, just like, yeah, maybe not. And now butterflies kind of took its spot. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe eventually down the line or something, we'll find out. But that's that's the problem, is that he would ask for these insane <laughs> things, and you were smart enough and know enough about all of that to do it, and now he'll ask me for something, and I just got to say no. I got to say no, yeah. or let me call Jesse. Yeah. Like I, I how I if he asked for like that low sound for me, I'd be like, yeah, I, I can't do that for well, you. Do you think the advancement of technology hinders the creative growth of an artist? I think it can if you let it. I think it can if you let it. Because, like, you figured out on your own just how to come up with something, whereas now people can just search a sound or... I think it can. I, I, I think it can if you let it. But the, 
the the interesting thing about that is um I've only directed and technical directed at the same time two two shows in in history. Um and it's it's a lot of work. I mean, you literally look like a dead rat when that show closes because <laughs> you've done so much, you know, to direct and, and, and technical direct at the same time. That's why I've only did it twice in my in my life. Um, and DJ's doing that all the time now, technical directing and artistic directing the, the same production. And, and, and so it can be difficult, but if he didn't have the advantages of technology, I don't think he'd be able to do that constantly. Yeah, no. I think he would burn out. Yeah. You know, in no time. So there are advantages to it, but it doesn't matter if you're using, you know, a flashlight or a an LED light. You can still be creative in how you use the newer technology, the, the LED light. Right. You know, the technology is not so much inherent in the in the in the device as it is in the mind that's putting it to whatever use it can be put to. Um. But I, I think, yeah, I think it. I think it could, like, y- you know, you look at the 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 technology of music. Um, that has, in in my opinion, and and you, anybody wants to, you can hate me for this opinion. <laughs> uh, that has crushed a lot of talent. Yeah. In, in music and a lot of creativity. Yeah. Well, you look all the way back to the Beatles, and you go, "Oh my God, they did that with what?" Mm-hmm. You know, Ringo had a four-piece drum set. And I'm not saying he wasn't talented. Rest in peace. Neil Peart from Rush. His drum set was like 412 pieces. You know? And and and, and it, with a guy like Neil Peart, it, that gave him more creative options yeah. and more creative opportunities. But now, like, I'll go to a bar. Not that I drink or anything. <laughs> but I'll, I'll go to a bar and I'll watch a band. And it'll be a one-man band who's strumming a guitar and singing. And everything else is being played on the computer. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, that's that's kind of crushing creativity and talent. Mm-hmm. But like with Rush, like how you mentioned Neil, like the different things, like he was the one who would put like different things on the drums, right? Like yeah. like glass and stuff, and yep. and the noises that he would create. So yeah, like like you were saying, like it, the advancements in technology could help you like that. And he got even better, and and would use still use like the glass and stuff, and, yep. and drum like a crazy man, or like the other guy. Like, yeah, I'll just have that piped through. Yeah, and I'll sing to it. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't have the same. And that, that's like. What's What's interesting is is. Every genre changes. Um, based on, you know, timeliness and and uh, technology. Like for an example, you know, you look at the old, stylized nineteen fifties productions where everything is overdone and the acting is overdone. <laughs> right. You know, and, and those genres have all changed due to, you know, being old and, and newer people, like younger people, just not being interested in that. Right. And just not buying it. It's like, it's like art through the ages, right? It's always changed. Art has never been stagnant. Um, and so, like... The musical, for an example, when we first did the musical, we hired union electricians or union musicians. Sorry, <laughs> we hired union musicians who would actually play in the theater, and there were 
it's an interesting thing if you've ever seen it, you know, a live musical with a live orchestra. It's an interesting thing. It changes the whole thing. But in my opinion, and I know there's going to be people angry at me about this, is although the, the live musical performance can be better, it can also detract from the show itself. Because when you know when you're listening to a CD and canned music, you're not worried about whether or not this performer was accurate. You know, a musician. Right. I mean, right. you're not looking at the musician saying, oh, you know, she just missed that G or whatever. Um, so I think that advancements in technology can make productions better. And I think, you know, we, we get along. I mean, it's like I watched black and white TV when I was younger. And I didn't think anything was wrong with it. And now, if you put a black and white TV in front of me, I'd be like, what? Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> you know, so, I mean, things change with technology, and, and I don't think it has to wreck creativity, but I think it can, if you're not careful. I think most artists would say, you know, no, I'm not doing that. I'm going to maintain my creativity and, and, you know, use the technology to their advantage. Right. You know, but... uh yeah, I think it's a dangerous thing. I think, and it's getting worse. Yeah, <laughs> it is because technology just keeps going. Yeah, and it's, it's so easy to be lazy and not choose to challenge yourself. Well, and you told me about this is a little bit ago, but you told me about those LED screens that yeah. you can literally not even have a set anymore and <laughs> just have like a, a pretty much a moving background. Which is something that would be great for some of our special effects, like yeah. like a fire. Okay, boom, there it is. Now now there's a fire, but also like there's something so real about having a a set and, and recreating a, a, an actual building or a, or a living room in front of people. I would never go down that path and just toss up a light board and yeah say here here's your I set. It's not even fun. No, and that's a part of the thing too. A part of the creative process is uh, for the people who get involved in crew and. You know, if they're not actors, they, they don't want to be on stage. And that's okay because we've got some wonderful people in niche environments, you know, uh, or niche places in, in the theater. Um, but for them to be able to sit back and say, you know, I, I helped build that. Mm -hmm. I took yeah. part in that. I was part of the artistic process because, like, I think DJ's a lot like me in the sense that I never wanted to like tell anybody who was who was building a set like to do it a particular way. I I was always careful about teaching people how to build because you get people who don't know which end of the drill, <laughs> yeah, the screw tip goes, <laughs> goes in. So you, you have to educate them that way. But it's like, and it, it, there's a really funny ghost light story involving me and Mark Woomer and <laughs> my brother who I hate to this day. <laughs> uh, he introduces me to Mark. And he says, Mark's going to volunteer here. He's going to work at the theater. And it was one of his kids was in the production. Either uh, Amanda or Jed was, was in the production, and so Mark was coming to volunteer at the theater. And um, I asked him to build a porch railing. And I told him how to do it step by step by step by step. And he had it done in like 15 minutes. And I was like, wow, this guy's good, right? So I give him another assignment. 
I go through the assignment with them. This is how we do it. This is how it has to be done. We do this for like four Saturdays running. Oh, my God. I don't want to hear the ending. And I am sitting here, and I am coaching this guy, like how to build a this or that or the other thing, whatever, a door. You know, this is how we install a door here. And my brother comes up to me and goes, you know, he owns his own construction company. <laughs> <laughs> I did not see that coming. I did not think that was out. And I just felt like 4X ass <laughs> because I spent the last like, four okay. weeks telling a professional carpenter how to build things. And Mark just <laughs> laughed and shook his head. He was so gracious about it. Well, he never said anything. He was just no, he never said anything to me. He just okay. he just laughed and smirked. <laughs> and I, it, it's, it's, it's so Mark. Yeah. It is so Mark to do that. Because he saw the burn coming eventually. He knew that we would get close and be friends, and he would be like, he probably was saving the burn for himself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and Don blew it. So Don's pro- he's probably wow. on Don's list, too. But, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it was funny. And, and, and But, like, when you have, like I said before, I like to have an actor on a board. Um, Don would write out cards for the lights when he was doing the lights and they were, they were cue cards and he wanted each channel up specifically after I got done programming the board and doing all the lighting design, he would sit up there and he would go through meticulously how he wanted each scene yep. lit and he would write the numeric value on the channel for mm-hmm. whatever light where he wanted it to be instead of programming. And I think what I realized all the way back then was that allows whoever the lighting board operator it, it, a much more creative opportunity. Um, because we had to have a kid run lights once. I literally programmed the lighting board so that each fader was one scene. That was Jed, right? I think it was Jed, yeah. <laughs> yeah, poor kid. It was like we didn't have anybody volunteering to run lights, and he was about 12 or something yeah he's young yeah and it was like hey bud you want to run the light board yeah i'll run the light board so i programmed it so each fader was its own scene um but but to do it and leave the board open fully open and not programmed at all except for we would program regions or or like if you had two overhead lights on the same area of the set i would gang them together to save channels right for for other options special effects and things and uh, to do that, the the lighting board operator just has so much more creative options, you know. And uh, I see the same thing in DJ. It's like you, you, so sometimes, especially when you're doing double duty, you have to delegate. Yeah. And you have to have somebody you trust. So if you want a particular set piece or you want a particular uh, set piece that's that's really specific, like let's say for an example, a tree. And we have learned who our creative talents are through the years, and you just delegate to that individual. You're like, yeah. I need a tree. Build me a tree. Right. And they build you a tree. And then how you use it is is where your creative concept comes in. Um, but it's there's so much there's so much creative in the theater that you know it's 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 cathartic. It's um, it's joyful. It's it, you know it's like. When you really take part in 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 a creative process like that, and you really, really, really enjoy doing what you're doing, um, and you work with so many cre- other creative people, you know, you have these collaborations, and it can really surprise you. Like somebody you don't think of is potentially that creative, 
and they'll say something to you like, you know, it'd be really cool if we could do this here. And you're like, oh, where'd that come from? <laughs> All the time. All you the know? time, yeah. And you just look at them and you're like, wow, that's kind of brilliant. I'm going to steal that. And yeah. then you steal it. And you take full credit for it in the program. Yeah. And it doesn't hurt at all. <laughs> that's what I said about directing. Like somebody would come up with a good idea. I'm like, great. My name's on it. <laughs> right. Wow. Uh, that's like my, my friend Nat, uh, Natalie. Uh, she, I didn't know that she was creative at all. And she's like, yeah, I'll come help it with, with Halloween, like doing the Halloween party. And I'm like, oh, I got to paint a pumpkin on here. Like maybe I'll ask Chris. Maybe I'll ask someone. She's like, well, I could paint a little bit. It's like, oh, I like I didn't know that about her. So I'm like, go, yeah, go ahead, do do it. And I'm expecting a literal orange circle with a with a smiley face on it. And she paints this beautiful pumpkin, and she's got this real talent. So now, like, like her and VJ and and Chris, whenever I need and Tracy, like when I need something artistically like that, I I know I have any one of them that I could poach and and have do it do it a set piece. That's funny. Yeah, and you know it can also go the other way completely. Uh, and it and it has <laughs> with some people, yeah. <laughs> and then you're there. At, then you're there at nine o'clock at night rebuilding the set piece. That they're like, what happened to what I did? Yeah, and it's like, can you build this for me? Yeah, sure, I'll take care of it. I'll get it done. And it just looks like it bought it from the Salvation Army's back rack or something. You're like, oh god, I got to rebuild this thing. Yeah, and you don't want to hurt their feelings, so. You go in at night, you rebuild the dang thing, and the next day they come in or the next crew they come in and they're looking at it like, is that the one I built? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Looks good, doesn't it? Yeah, you just spruce it up a little bit. Oh, yeah, that's that's tough. Sometimes, yeah. But that's the thing with having such a, a large volunteer organization, too, is there's a lot of people who have come up to me and thanked me that said, I just hung a shelf in my kitchen that I never would have been able to do had I not come volunteer for the theater yeah you know yeah yeah and that's a good feeling too because you do learn how to do a lot of things right basic building skills and and things of that nature so um it's always been fun i've loved doing it for since i was i wasn't allowed to do technical things when i was doing this professionally because i was uh doing shows at studio arena and actors equity the actors union and i hated it because for all those years, I had done stuff at the Ghost Light, and I was allowed to do technical stuff and act. And once I, w- I was working at Studio Arena building sets, and I was on the payroll for building sets, and then I actually auditioned for another theater company in Buffalo Alleyway and did a few productions there, and then I auditioned at uh, Studio Arena, and I got the role, and they had to push me into the union. Once I became a member of Actors Equity, they had to completely get rid of my record on payroll as a technical person because it's against all the union regulations down there. So, um, and at that point, you pick up a drill backstage and you're getting written up. Oh, wow. So, it kind of stopped being fun. And it it was a job. And we worked what were called 10 of 12s. So you're there for 12 hours, mm-hmm. and 10 hours is active rehearsal time. Yikes. And that was Monday. Monday was the only dark day. That was Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. You had Saturday and Sunday off till the productions ran. And then when the productions ran, Monday was the only dark day. You had show on Tuesday, show on Wednesday, doubleheader on Thursday because we did a matinee. Friday, two shows on Saturday, and two shows on Sunday. Wow. Yeah. It was grueling. 
But yeah, that's why I enjoyed Ghost Light. That's why I quit and came back. <laughs> so I could continue doing technical work and acting at the same time, which to me is the most fun. It is. It's fun to do a little bit of everything. I mean, it's fun to learn. Yeah. I mean, you're not just pigeonholed into one specific area. Right. I, think I mean, wouldn't you want that? I know it's different when you're a business and you have liabilities, but I don't know. I think it developed out of necessity. Because yeah. Yeah. when, you know, we were younger, you could we couldn't afford to hire a, a lighting company to come in and do the lights. We couldn't. You know, we borrowed lights from Indigo Productions. We rented them and and put them up on these big, heavy pipe battens that we had. They were like 100 pounds. We used to lug those dang things around. <laughs> and uh, out of necessity, we learned. You know, you, you, you had to because we couldn't right. afford to bring somebody in. Nobody was going to do the stuff that we were doing without getting paid for it. You know? Mm-hmm. Unless you love doing it. Right. And then, you know, you, you learn and you develop. Yeah. Um, necessity is the mother of invention, right? True. Truth. <laughs> All right. Well, we're approaching the two-hour mark. <laughs> um, I figured. Yeah. We have to have you on again because there we there is so much more that I can talk I, about. We didn't I talk about was so interesting. your I roles like at all. I took a trip back in time. Yeah, great. Because I spent, like, all morning... <laughs> Trying to figure out what I would answer if you said, <laughs> "What's your favorite role? What's your favorite play?" And we, yeah, you asked one. Okay, of well, those. we got eight minutes. We got eight minutes. What are what, oh, what's yeah. your favorite? What's your favorite role? I forgot. Oh come <laughs> on! <laughs> no, I was really thinking about that today, and it's it's, it's a difficult thing because I've done so many that were so much fun, and I, I've done roles that were like deeply satisfying, and and roles where I just couldn't wait till the show was over. Um, I played Ned in Noodles. Yep, it was incredibly satisfying as a as an artist, as an actor. Just it's just one of those. I call them chewy rolls <laughs> because you can chew on it and right. chew on it and chew on it, and it's just it's so it's such a wonderful experience. And you know, if you're working with good people, and for the most part in that show, there was it was really good people. Because the second time around, I played Grandpa. Yeah. Right. You know, which is kind of a funny role. I mean, that that's, you know, oddly creative, that that role. But um, I also like the evil bastards. <laughs> you know, like I said, I don't belong in a musical, but I played Bill Sykes. And um, there are women who are involved in the theater company today that said that they were so terrified of me <laughs> when they were young and in, in Carousel. Or uh, whatever. Um, Oliver, I think. Yeah, that's Oliver. Yeah. But I also played Jigger in Carousel, who's okay. another villain. And and, and and I like the villain roles. I like I played Jack in Boys Next Door yep. the first time around, and Jack was a very satisfying role. Um, I can't think of the name of the, the, uh, the guy I played last time. He's the... Lucian P. Smith. Lucian P. Smith, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Which was a very challenging role because, again, it, you go back to that laughing with, laughing at. Oh, yeah. you got to walk the line. And, and you he, did. He doesn't do much in the whole show, but then he's got that last monologue. Yeah. And that monologue is soul-crushing. Yep. 
and I remember doing that and you know that that was a huge challenge um I like the roles that challenge me and I hate to say this because it'll sound like I'm saying I don't like it but Sal is not a challenge to me artistically from Lottie and Bernice right no yeah and the reason no. it's not a challenge to me artistically is because my brother wrote it for me <laughs> right just being myself and so it's it's not an artistic challenge. The the biggest challenge with Sal is keeping a straight face because your father's an idiot on stage. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know. And I don't mean that negatively. I, I'm I I've told him this <laughs> to his face a number of times. His goal when we work in Hal and Sal is to break me as many times as possible. Yeah, that is his goal, and he'll deny it. But I'm telling you, he the one time when I, I don't. I don't think it's a whatever a spoiler, but I, I'm on stage with crackers and cheese. This the spray cheese, <laughs> right? Comes out of the can. And I leave for one reason or another. I went to go get a coffee cup or something. I don't remember what the heck I was doing, but I, I leave and he's left alone with that aerosol can of cheese. And um I'm supposed to give him a certain amount of time to do whatever he, he does he did with it. And he would wind up like the first couple times we did it with a little dollop of cheese on his glasses. And I would see that, and I would be like, do you use my cheese? And he'd be like, no, because his mouth is full of the spray cheese. <laughs> and every time we've done that show, he'll go real easy during rehearsals, <laughs> right? And then opening night i come out and he's got the cheese was like he took a bath in it <laughs> and it's dripping off his glasses and everything and i'm just like i was so broken <laughs> i didn't even say my line i just turned around and with shoulders shaking walked off stage i'm like you son of a but he does that all day did it to me as jack because he played um he played arnold was it arnold the 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 yet yet I'm going to Russia. Oh yeah yeah yeah. And uh, that wasn't very kind of you, Jack. But <laughs> he plays Arnold, and Arnold's supposed to come out of uh, the bathroom with a little bit of water sprinkled on him because he a couple drops of pee f gets on his pants, <laughs> yeah. and he doesn't want anybody to know that he peed his pants. So he washes his hands and he splashes water all over him. Because then all you got to do is say the yeah. sink exploded and water went all over me and nobody, you know, knows you, you peed in your pants a little bit. So he's supposed to come out with a little bit of sprinkled water on these tan pants. And he comes out and he just looked like he stepped out of the shower. <laughs> and his glasses were dripping. <laughs> and Jack luckily has the ability to sort of head shake and, and, and sort of be amused by the antics of these these you know, residents, and I was able to get away with it, and I was able to take a long enough time <laughs> to bite a two-inch hole in the side of my cheek, and so the pain and blood was keeping me from laughing yeah. at him, you know, and then do this really serious monologue, because that's the breaking point for Jack. Right. That's it. That, that's the camel's, you know, straw that broke the camel's back. At that point, Jack's like, yeah, I'm quitting. I... Yeah, I, I want to have you and my dad on at the same time so we can oh. go over Hal and Sal. But my favorite role of yours is from Child's Play. Yeah, that was good. That was fun. Both times. That that's my favorite. It, it like I couldn't. That's one of the roles where like I couldn't imagine anybody else playing 
And again, that was yeah. you and, and my dad and, and that were just amazing. And Carl, the first time, yeah. I, I, I like the first time better just because everything that happened the second time was like outrageous. But the 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 first time, it, I still remember yeah. the the scenes, the monologues, and you with with the boys. Yeah. Oh yeah. That was that was really, that really was good. one of my favorite roles. There have been so many. I've done probably three four hundred roles, and some of them are just like, oh god, you know. <laughs> I like the grunge roles too. Like I, I've played the um, the the what you call it? That's the grunge seller or whatever in. Um, in Christmas Carol. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I can't think of his name. I can't think of his name either, but I know who you're talking about. But it was like Julie and Vanessa have have done that scene with me before, and they're just as in love with the grunge roles. Yeah, and that the whole like tone of the scene is just dirty and grunge, you know, and just meanness and selfishness and all those things. And sometimes it's so delicious to get into those kind of roles <laughs> right you right know? That's a good word. but it's uh there's been so many I, I i i really thought about my favorite ones and i i was gonna say i i i i really can't pick right i did a sailor in a play called 10 november at the ghost light and it's one of the most brilliant monologues ever written except you're not doing a monologue and you're not alone on stage there's two guys in the background that are like messing with a with a not life size but a a big size model of the uh Evan Fitzgerald and there's a US Coast Guardsman who's standing at a podium reading the weather report through the whole scene and what it is is I was a sailor and I'm whittling and I talk about the three sisters which are the the legendary waves that sunk the the ship. And that monologue was just phenomenal. It it was by far and above my favorite monologue I've ever done. And um, if you're an actor or a technician, you steal. I don't care who you are. You can tell me you don't, but you steal. And that monologue I stole heavily from Quinn. In Jaws, um, oh, okay. Robert Shaw. Yep, yep. I stole heavily from him <laughs> the way he did his USS Indianapolis, yep. which he wrote. By the way, it's an interesting side light there. I didn't know that he That's did. Cool. He wrote it. They they had this whole scene and and like nothing to do in this scene except they're drinking and then you know they they do the the jokes about their scars and stuff like that. Yeah, and um, Stephen King. Not Stephen King. Spielberg. Yeah, Spielberg. Spielberg wanted something better in there. Yeah. And that scene is not even in the book. It's not. It's just not there. Benchley never wrote that scene in the book. So Spielberg wanted something chewier, so to speak. No pun intended. (laughs) And the actors took a break, and Robert Shaw wrote that. Wow. He wrote that. He wrote that monologue and did it the next time they were doing that scene. And Spielberg was like, "Yeah, that's damn. That's amazing." The doll's eyes. Yeah, that's but, wild. Uh, I stole heavily from him doing <laughs> that. Doing that shipmaker's monologue and the, the the character was a sailor who basically quit because he saw the dangers. And um, so it'd, it'd be like I say a couple lines, and then Bob Thomasine I think played the Coast Guard officer who 
like, you know, is reading the weather, and then one of the two kids playing with a boat or whatever gives you, like, a little factoid about the ship, how long she was or whatever. Yeah. And in my monologue, I do, too. You know, and I explain the whole thing about how the Fitzgerald, and it's kind of got that, you know, sailor maritime. You, I could see Robert Shaw doing the role. Right. He would have. He would have banged it up bad. Yeah. And that's why I kind of stole from him. That's awesome. But yeah. Yeah, we haven't even talked about ghosts. Gosh. I know. So yeah, we yeah. we have to have you on again, single, and then have you on again with my dad. I mean, I, you and my my dad could talk about ghosts all day too. So. Yeah, thank you thank for you coming so on. Much. Yeah, this right, was thank fun. Thank you for having me. It was a good time. Um, I was told though there would be breakfast and coffee. And <laughs> any of you who are oh. volunteering to come on the show, b- bring your own breakfast. I haven't even had breakfast yet. It's a lie. <laughs> it's it is a lie. That's we should do that. We should like start going out with all of our guests after. That'd yeah. be fun. Or, or bring something in. Yeah, but then they're smacking into the microphone. Yeah, right. I won't. Maybe for I like won't deal with that. Five minutes no. beforehand, bring like a donut. No. Okay, fine. Then, then they got Jesus. the moist mouth. I can't listen to people chewing. <laughs> well, they don't have I to... can't either. That's a Swartz thing. Yeah, mm. that's from Grandma. It that's, drives me up a wall. It's from Grandma. <laughs> like, imagine someone in the microphone just. Well, I'm not saying during the episode, just beforehand. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> that's a no. <laughs> I yep. I don't well, love that. Thank I, you I for tried having to me. I will. I will come on again whenever you ask. All right. Yeah. Thank perfect. You. Yeah. This was. And I already texted your dad about doing a, the duo. And yeah. He's all excited about it. He's like, "That'll be a lot of fun." Yeah. Yeah. All right. Great. Thank you for coming on. Thank You're you, welcome. everyone, for listening. Oh yeah. Nothing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, <I was> <laughs> all right. You you do it. You take it. Take no, us out. No. No. Take no, us home. No. 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 I'm waiting. No, I'm done. I'm waiting for. All right. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening. This is episode nine. Um, follow us on sh- social media. Starry Night Theater. Uh, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and we'll see you next time.